This that gentleman, 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 yeah. This that gentleman, 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 gentleman. Start like 23. Just that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Two four like OV. Just that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Shoot my shot, dance This that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Right around swinging my trees. This that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Start like 23. Just that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Two four like OV. Just that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Shoot my shot, dance Just that jumpman, 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 jumpman. Right around swinging my trees. Falling in the music like Kobe. Like I'm the greatest to ever do it. They don't know it. This is 1252 Sports Chicago. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another Turtles Take here on 1252 Sports Chicago. Got my co-host, well, my partner in crime here with me, Vince Mucci. As always, Vince was out last week, but he's back. Vince, how we doing tonight, bro? Man, I'm good. It's good to be back, bro. Oh, glad to have you back for sure. Yes, sir. How you doing? Doing well, man. Been a long week. Lots been going on here in Chicago, as always, so we got plenty to talk about tonight. Looking forward to it. Hell yeah, you know, I don't know if it's because, you know, today the we finally hit that phase five, State of Illinois opening up or what, but it feels good. Maybe it's because I wasn't here last week, but I'm feeling really good to be here tonight. Good, man, good. Glad to hear. Uh, for the fans, real quick, we are guest-free tonight, so please be sure to be interactive in the chat. Uh, we'll field all your questions and talk with you guys as much as you want to chalk it up. we got a variety of topics to cover tonight. But before we get into that, I do want to say real quick, thank you to our sponsors here at 1252. Without you guys, none of this is possible. So thank you to the Jonathan Darren team with the Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group out in Homer Glen, Mark Berardi and Associates, our guy Paul out at Nick and Ivy in beautiful Lockport, as well as the White Oak Farm venue. Without you guys, none of this is possible. So we appreciate you all and thank you guys for joining us. As I said, it's going to be kind of a little mix of a bunch of topics tonight we're going to talk some nfl we're going to talk some nba the playoffs especially my favorite topic and that's lebron james being booted in the first round you're we'll such a in, hater we'll get into that a little bit later uh yes i am a hater when it comes to lebron <laughs> vince absolutely uh we're going to cover some baseball obviously the cubs and Sox are both still doing really well so a lot to talk about there and then we'll close the show talking about uh that quote-unquote fight that happened the other night between Jake Paul and Floyd Mayweather. You can't even call it that. That's why I put fight in quotes in the <laughs> synopsis for the show, because I don't even call it a fight. But with that being said, let's go ahead and get into it, Vince. Man, like I said, it's been a long week. Glad to have you back. Uh, I got to know, man, have you been watching uh, any of the OTAs, any of the Bears football footage that we've seen so far? You know, I've been trying to watch a little bit. I usually don't watch too much, but, man, I'm just so excited for this season to get here. You know, so excited for Justin Fields and Jenkins and all these dudes to see what they look like, you know, 
the 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 meathead fan in me is like, oh man, they're gonna they're Super Bowl contenders this year. But I'm just trying to you know get a realistic idea of what this team is gonna be like when it hits the field. Yeah, that was gonna be my question. I mean, obviously we've seen Justin Fields out there a little bit more now. We've seen him getting comfortable with some of the receivers as well as his line. Uh, the coaches are saying really good things about him. Both Coach Flip and Coach Laser speak very highly of him and say that they think he's on the right progression, as well as Matt Nagy said in the presser the other day. Although he did publicly say that Andy's their starter week one. So Yeah, I mean, you know, he he is until he isn't, right? I mean, at this at this point, Andy Dalton's your starter week one. If you started if week one was tomorrow or this Sunday, uh, Andy Dalton's gonna be your starter. I mean, that's just the way it works. But as the as OTAs go on and minicamp gets here and you know into the preseason and we work our way towards that week one, the we're gonna see exactly if that's gonna hold true or if you know Fields is everything that everybody says he is and he's gonna wind up being your week one starter. Well, and that's my question, Vince. Do you think that's going to be the case? <sighs> if I had to put my money down right now, I say no. I say Andy Dalton is your starter going going into the season. I think the 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 most telling, you know, not quote, but your most telling sign was Matt Nagy's interview he did on ESPN 1000. Um, they asked him. They said, you know, I think he was I think he was on with Cap and Hood, if I remember right. Yeah. And you know, they asked him. They said, you know, you see you see Fields out there and. You know, Cap was saying, you know, you're talking to your wife. You're saying, man, this kid, I just can't not start him. This kid is great. He's doing everything I've asked him to do. He's making every throw. You know, we know he can make the throws. We know he throws a great deep ball, all those things. You know, but I think the most telling thing that Matt Nagy said, and it's what I've been saying from the beginning, is, um, you know, but he said, but what if Andy Dalton looks good too? If Andy Dalton looks good, he's going to be the starter. You know, they don't want to start fields week one. They don't. They, they don't want to start him this year. They want to hold him out. They want to, you know, let him learn, let him come along slowly this year and have all that momentum into next year, you know, or the end of this year. But it, so a lot of it is going to be what Andy Dalton looks like. You know, they right. had Jay Cutler on and Jay Cutler said it best. It, you know, a lot of people were persecuting Jay because he said he was, you know, talking shit about Justin Fields. And I don't think he was. I think what he was trying to say was, you know, Justin Field, or uh, I'm sorry, Andy Dalton is not, you know, uh, Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham or, you know, right. I, they're both in New England. They just were the ones that came to mind. But, you know, they're not guys. Yeah. It's not Nick Foles. You know, it's not guys that, you know, you already go into the game like, oh, we can't win because he's a quarterback. You know, Andy Dalton, he's a guy that he's played well. He, play, he will play good enough to win you football games. You know, so if Fields looks really good, but Dalton looks to be – who Andy Dalton is. We, at this point, everybody knows what Andy Dalton, what you're going to get out of him. If he continues to be that guy, well, I think Andy Dalton's going to be the starter because there's no reason to put fields out there week one. If Andy Dalton looks like he could win you football games. I would argue this in that point. I mean, I do definitely see what you're saying in regards to Andy Dalton. If he's out there and doing well and playing like he was in Cincinnati when he was in his quote unquote prime, maybe they do put him out there the first few weeks. But I just find it hard-pressed when you went after a guy with such conviction that you're going to let him sit, even I mean, if it's – I mean, you look at – you know, Matt Nagy was in Kansas City when they drafted Patrick Mahomes, and it's been very well documented that Matt Nagy was the highest-rated guy on Patrick Mahomes to the point where Andy Reid had to tell him to stop sending him 
clips of Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech because they already knew that was their guy out of all the times Matt Nagy wanted him and said they needed him and this and that. Um, but, you know, so he still sat. You know, right. much they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes and all those things. He still sat behind Alex Smith. You know, so yeah. just because you trade up for a guy, just because the Bears went out and they got they traded up for Justin Fields, doesn't mean the best case scenario is that he starts week one. You know, you, you'd like him to ease into it, but don't forget you're also going to have a rookie left tackle. You know, yeah, he looks to be the part two, but you know, what if he's well, not? What if he's what if he starts slow? Do you really want Fields' first game of the year? He's trying to figure out how to keep the defensive end off him because the rookie left tackle can't. You know, and now you talk about all the momentum and all the hype from Bears fans. Well, now you've got your the savior of the team and Justin Fields on his ass because the second pick, Tevin Jenkins, can't keep him off of him. So that's worst-case well, scenario. Yeah, I was going to say that's definitely worst-case scenario. I think realistically that Tevin Jenkins is going to come in and instantly be better than Charles Leno was at that yeah, position. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? There's a there's a difference between being better and being good enough. Being the right situation for Justin Fields. You know, the thing is, once you go to the rookie, you can't take the keys away. You can't do you know, like Miami did last year and keep flopping between Tua and Ryan you know what? Even with that, at least Brian Flores was smart enough. He never said, okay, Tua, you're not starting. Right. You know, he went to Ryan Fitzpatrick sometimes in the clutch, but the next game, Tua was <laughs> out there. Because for the same reason, if you take the key, once you give him the keys to the car and you take the car away from him, now it's really hard to go back to him and be like, okay, here's the car again. You're, you're running yeah. things again. You've shown them that you don't have confidence in them as right. a player. So, you know, for me, as long as Andy Dalton looks like he can win you football games, I think you ride with Andy Dalton this year. You know, now if it gets okay. to a point where Andy, where you feel that Justin Fields gives you a more, a better chance to win football games right now than Andy Dalton, now you start to have that conversation. So I think it's going to be more than just if Fields can make the throws, because we all know he can make the throws. It's going to be right. how fast is he reading defenses? Is he making the right decisions? How well does he control the locker room? What kind of leader is he? Now we've heard all the right things, and that's great. Right. We want, that's what you want to hear, but. It's all going to matter when they get in the field and what Andy looks but, like, too. You yeah, know? I mean, in that regard, Mitch Trubisky had a great week in practice every time he played for the Bears. So. Absolutely. You know, the, the the thing is, Matt Nagy, he's a player's coach. He's not going to throw a guy under the bus. Now, you can see, you know, you can kind of learn to read between of what he says and what it really means. But, right. you know, I, everybody that's talked about Justin Fields has nothing but great things to say about him. That's great. That's what we want to hear. We want to hear all the great things about Justin Fields. Right. However, it doesn't mean that he has to be out there week one. It doesn't change the plan. Just because everybody else sees what Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace saw to trade up to get him doesn't mean that we need him out there week one. It just means that, hey, we might have a more of a legit chance that they really did get this one right. Yeah, and I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, right, with the Mitch Trubisky pick. Maybe if they let him sit a little bit longer than he did, he might have been a little more – ready a little more crisp when he came out i mean obviously i think we know everything we need to know about him going to the buffalo bills for a two million dollar backup role but right you know, justin fields is in a whole league of his own in that regard he's 10 steps above mitch trubisky already and he hasn't even taken a snap i'll be interested to see what he does through otas mandatory camp and you know into the preseason especially i 
am thinking about trying to get some tickets to a preseason game just so I can go see him do some work in yeah. person. You know, they, they say that the plan, you know, people around the league and close to the Bears say that the plan is Andy Dalton as your starter week one. But, excuse me, but the plan is for Justin Fields to get a lot of playing time, a lot of reps, and, you know, a lot of preseason snaps. Right. Well, and that's my thing, too, is if he's getting reps consistently with the ones and he goes out and shows that he is better than Andy at some point, then maybe you have to make a decision. But there's a lot of what ifs. Everybody's and, calling. And, for you know, out of the gate, the, you know, he's going to see a lot of reps, but it's going to be with the twos. You know, Andy's going to work with the ones and Fields will work with the twos until, you know, he'll get some time with the ones. But it, and a lot of it is just going to it's going to go as. Justin goes, you know, the more, right. the more, the better he plays, the, the better he is at practice, the better reads he makes, all those things, the better decisions he makes, the more chances he's going to get and the more opportunity he's going to get to run with those ones, you know, especially right. we've seen, you know, preseason, man, it used to be the first year there's only three games, but they've showed before, you know, you get that first game, all you're really out there for as a starter is to play that first drive. That first drive's over, exactly. and you're out the game. No matter if you ran the ball three times and punted, that quarterback's still coming out. So, you exactly. know, there's, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for Fields to show what he can do and that he is ready for that spot. Yeah, I'm optimistic about the kid. I mean, obviously, he's more talent than we've seen drafted at the quarterback position, I would argue, ever in the city of Chicago. But as you said, you can't. So many people are just going, start him week one, just put him out there. And I get it. I get both sides. You have that excitement. Oh, my God, we have a franchise quarterback for the first time in history. But I don't know, man. Our guy, Angelo Ace Camacho, here in the chat saying, Fields should start simply to build the chemistry early. I would rather see him with a fresh team struggle rather than coming into week five and six dealing with whatever injuries popped up. I, I do respect that take, and, I mean, I get it. You don't want him to be around injured guys, but hopefully even if he does come in week six, nobody's injured and it's just a change of the reins and that's the only change you're making. Yeah, I mean, you know, I got you know, I go back to what I said to start the show. I think the only way we see Fields, if he doesn't start week one, the only way we're going to see Fields, I'm sorry, the only way we're going to see Fields start week one is if not only does he look that good, but Andy Dalton looks that bad. And and it's a possibility. You know, I, I don't think it is, to be honest. I don't. I don't think it's going to be possible for Andy Dalton to look bad enough where you can't start him week one. I mean, the guy is a pro. The guy is a veteran. He's not going to blow your doors off, but he's never been a guy that you say, "Oh my God, he can't even move the football." He's never been one of those guys. But, There's no reason to think that he would be now. But he did kind of look like shit for Dallas last year. Agreed. I mean, if you compare him to Dak Prescott, yeah, he did look really, really bad. But, you know, I mean, Andy Dalton is who he is. You know, he's going to be around 300 yards a game to 270, you know, and he's going to throw a couple touchdowns and he's probably going to turn the ball over at least once a game, you know. But if if he's taking care of the ball and, you know, God help us that Matt Nagy is – you know, relying on the run game. Now that he's got an improved offensive line, he runs the ball a little bit. We got some balance. He you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I just, like I said, I, I don't see Dalton looking bad enough where he doesn't start week one. I just, I think if he shows up, it looks like he did in Dallas. I still think it's enough to start week one. Okay. Well enough, I guess of beating the dead horse, so to speak, because I could sit here and talk about that all night. 
I mean, it's such a hot topic right now, and you hear guys all around the media, especially start him week one, start him week one, put him out there, and it depends on the situation. It depends if he's ready. I mean, if you have that Russ Wilson, Matt Flynn situation, maybe you do put him out there if he just looks that unbelievable, but it's hard for a rookie to look that good even after, you know, camp and a couple preseason games, et cetera. It's still a lot to ask of a guy that's just now learning an NFL caliber defense. <clears throat> With that being said, though, we've got – a lot of other excitement on this Bears team, not just with Justin Fields, but with Tevin Jenkins, obviously, Larry Borum. This whole rookie class is kind of more exciting than they've been in a long time. Well, and, you know, they're, they're, it's not just the rookies, too. You think about second-year guys and Darnell Mooney and Jalen Johnson. You know, there's a lot of stories with this Bears team. you got – how is Jalen Johnson going to look now as the number one corner? You know, they're – he looked right. really good at times, but there were some times I thought he looked really suspect, like he wasn't sure where to be. Um, and the, I think part of that gets fixed with the switch of defensive coordinator. I think that we're going to see a lot more of that Vic Fangio style defense. Hopefully, that uh, you know that helps. That's where Kyle Fuller looked his best because that's when you were getting the pass rush, um, right? You know, but it's just there's a lot of stories to this team. You got Robert Quinn. How's Robert Quinn going to look? Is he going to look like he looked last year? where he looked like he didn't deserve to be on the field? Or is he going to look like the Robert Quinn that you paid all that money to because he was going to win those one-on-ones while Khalil Mack was getting double teamed? You know, can Akeem Hicks stay healthy? If Akeem Hicks stay healthy and Robert Quinn looks better than he looked last year and we get Eddie Goldman back, does that mean we get Khalil Mack back the way he was playing? You know, he's going to be healthy. All those questions, you know, if those if those guys are playing like we know they can play and they've played before, well, that's going to make Jalen Johnson's job a lot easier. You know, oh, and the, the Bears created some cap space, man, and they didn't use it. What are they going to do with this cap space? Are they going to use it? Are they going to save it for in case there's an injury during the season? You know, are they will they go kick the tires on a guy like Richard Sherman and put him back there to help Jalen Johnson come along maybe a little quicker than he normally would? Not to mention, plus be that number two corner or – you know, one one and one A, however you want to look at it. Right. You know, you draft you spoke about Larry Borum and he's looked good. And you know, they've got other options. A Fetty looks pretty good and different things. Or do they go spend that money and they go get a guy like Mitchell Schwartz and put him at right tackle and you know, just say, Look, we're done. We got our left tackle in Tevin Jenkins and we just went and got our right tackle in Mitchell Schwartz and now we're ready to roll. You know, so it all it all really depends on what they do here. There's there's still quite a few questions that need to be answered and i'm excited to see those questions get answered but at the same time how will they be answered will they be answered with guys that are on the team now or will it come somebody in free agency they have the cap space to go get somebody and as we roll along here don't be surprised you see some other guys get cut that you weren't expecting speaking of the bears making moves i did see today that it's rumored that the jets have an interest in nick Foles as a veteran backup role you know i mean it makes a lot of sense um you know Robert Salaz, the head coach over there now, he came from San Francisco. They had a lot of um, that type of offense. It is a lot like, you know, what Nick has succeeded in before. And, you know, you've got uh, taking uh, Zach Wilson at number two overall. You know, you shipped out Sam Darnold. Joe Flacco went to, I believe, Philadelphia. Yep. You know, you've got all those all those guys are gone now, so that leaves a, a void there at that backup quarterback position. 
And I think a guy like Zach Wilson could learn a lot from a Nick Foles who, you know, if nothing else, it's having another guy right there next to him the whole time. Like, this is what you should right. do now. This is what you should do here. So, well, yeah, at the end of the day, it's at least just having another warm body on the roster that is an experienced veteran. I mean, Nick Foles, as much as we give him uh, flack for how horrible he looked behind the Bears line at times last year, I think when the line was playing as atrociously as they were, any quarterback would have looked that bad behind them. I mean, not only that, but don't forget Chase Daniels is still a quarterback in this league. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's guys out there that are paid to be backups just to be backups. There's You can't tell right. me that Nick Foles can't play as good as Chase Daniels. And Ryan then, Fitzpatrick, perfect example. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick, everybody talks about, but he, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick really isn't that good. Like, if you look at the numbers, he's – yeah, he comes no. up in the clutch, but the rest of the game, he's usually not that good. Well, and that's my thing with him. I was saying as far as a competent backup role goes, right. Ryan Fitzpatrick is your almost number one example. 17 years in the league, bouncing yeah. around with a bunch of different teams. I, Has never really been the guy, but he's been that guy that can fill a gap. Yeah, I mean, you know, and obviously there are two different types of quarterbacks, but uh, you look at a guy like Terod Taylor. You know, Terod Taylor, yeah. he, he's had no more production, just straight production. Forget the rushing, but as a quarterback, as a passer, he's had no more production on the field than Nick Foles has. And shit, right. Houston just gave him $13 million. That's so, crazy. But you know, I mean, there's 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 teams out there that if you are a veteran quarterback and they feel like you can at least be, you know, more than just a body, be somebody you can actually play, you're going to get paid. You know, I, I always compare it as to, um, you know, I don't know. I know I'm a lot older than you, but Ted Lilly, when he played for the Cubs, I don't know if you know who that is. I do know who that is. Asshole. Okay. You, no, I was being <laughs> serious. You know, I just wasn't sure. But, you know, Ted Lilly, people were paying him 10, 12, 13, 15 million dollars a year till he was like 45 years old because he, you could throw him out there and he'd give you six, seven innings. You know, right. you, you get a Tom Taylor, a Nick Foles, you get somebody that, if nothing else, he's going to go out there and play 12, 14 games for you. Uh, he's going to get paid. I mean, it's just the way it works. Right. And that makes sense. I think with the Tyrod Taylor situation, it's a little bit different, though. Obviously, we don't know if Deshaun Watson's going to be able to play or not. But even with if Deshaun his, Watson, this whole situation, even if he's not, he, let's just say he's not able to play or he's traded to another team, whatever. That team's got so many quarterbacks. You've got Terod Taylor that you paid thirteen million dollars. Now, obviously, I'm right. I'm guessing a lot of that is in bonuses. It can be up to thirteen million. I don't know what the base is. Like everybody right. screams and yells. Like I, I always want to call in every time I hear Sylvie go on ESPN one thousand and, and holler about Andy Dalton getting ten million dollars. He didn't. He got five. It's Half a base of, of five million, right? and then it can be up to ten with bonuses. Like a lot of contracts are written that way. But anyway, you know, Houston's got. They got Terod Taylor, who they paid the money to. They paid, you know, low, low level starting quarterback money, but way high, highest backup money in football. Right. They got Terod Taylor. They drafted uh, Mills out of Stanford. They brought in uh, yep. RJ Finley or whatever his name is from Cincinnati. Uh, there's somebody else over there, too. Like they got, they got four quarterbacks. They're doing the same thing at running back. They brought in Phillip Lindsay. They got. Uh, they brought in Mark Ingram. They had David Johnson, who they traded DeAndre Hopkins for. Uh, you know, all these things that they did. It's like it's just like they're just taking as much as they can and throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. So, you know, as as things start to roll around and body camp arms become no longer on teams, I can easily see somebody making a move for Nick Foles 
as a backup veteran presence to tutor slash just be there for one of these young quarterbacks. Right. And obviously he doesn't have a role in Chicago unless both fields and Andy Dalton get hurt somehow. So and that's the big thing is he just doesn't fit here because you've already got the vet, that veteran in Andy Dalton. Right. So even if fields becomes a starter, well, that veteran backup is already going to be Andy Dalton. So I don't, I don't see any way Nick Foles is on this roster come the start of preseason. I just don't. I think he's. I, I would agree. And I think a lot of moves are going to be made in this come, you know, July 1st, man. A lot of things change in July. July 1st rolls around, and now you can spread that money around, that dead money. You can spread it over two years. You can trim some of it off. Don't be surprised. You see some wild-ass moves. And if we've seen anything, you know, as we, we talked earlier about how we're coming out of the pandemic and this and that, as sports is coming out of this pandemic, you're going to see a lot of the, the wild, wild west atmosphere that we've seen the last two seasons in various sports because people are moving around more than we've ever seen it before. And everybody right. we spoke on this show, that salary cap is going to go back up a little bit next year. It's going to skyrocket the year after and teams are going to start setting themselves up for that. So you're going to see guys like Nick, Paul, you're going to see got veterans move. They have that high price tag. And that's when you see some of these Richard Sherman's, Mitchell Schwartz, some of these free agents, Le'Veon Bell doesn't have a team. Um, that's you know, wild. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of chips to fall, dominoes to fall, however you want to call it. There's a lot of pieces and moves to be made here across the league, not just the, here in Chicago, but across the league. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I do see your point there with Nick Foles. I do think the team moves him. I want to know your thoughts on one more thing before we move on from the Bears here, Vince. Is Anthony Miller on this roster week one? You know what? I think he is. I think he's on his team, but I, I think it's, you know, as a number four receiver. He's a, I think he's going to be a complimentary. I think they're building – obviously, Allen Robinson is your number one. Darnell Mooney's your two. Darnell right? Mooney is they're, – they're putting everything they can into Darnell Mooney, but it's the same thing they did with Anthony Miller. And now it could be could Darnell Mooney take that next step. Now, the one difference between them is we saw Darnell Mooney continuously beat coverage last year and get overthrown, underthrown, just the ball. Right. You know, he had a quote earlier – it was earlier this week, the end of last week. I'm not sure if you saw it, but he said the the first time Justin Fields threw him a ball, he started smiling halfway with the ball halfway to him. You yeah, know, I did see that. You know, but there's – there's if anybody wants to see it, there's plenty of highlight film on, on YouTube and different platforms that you can see. Uh, it's highlight films just of Darnell Mooney being over and under thrown when he's wide open. Yeah. So I've I think seen a couple of those, and two. it's crazy. I think Marquise Goodwin's going to have a big role with this team. I think Demir Bird's going to have a role. You know, we know Matt Nagy likes to run that jet sweep. We know he likes to run <laughs> the, the short stuff. And, you know, whether it's Andy Dalton or whether it's Justin Fields, you know, I, I think it doesn't change. I think the big thing for these guys is hitting guys in that five- to seven-yard intermediate and letting them do something with the ball in their hands. We spoke on this show before when we had Steve Edwards on. We talked to him about it. This team, they've clearly built this offense to be a Matt Nagy offense. You know, everybody's judged right. Matt Nagy on what he's had so far, but it seems like this is the first year they've put an emphasis on speed, not yeah. route running, uh, physicalness, none of that. They put it on pure speed at receiver Um you know, we've seen a lot of running backs come in. They're going to have weapons. You know, David Montgomery, he's great at catching a ball. Uh, Khalil Herbert's athletic. You know, he's got a tough – he's got a really good balance. Um, you know, Mr. You still East West, Cohen Tariq Cohen's back. You're right. you got Tariq Cohen back there, you know. I mean, so there's a there's a lot of pieces 
and his Bears offense. And I think the and I, you know, I, I know I compare it to that a lot, but it's where he's from is that Kansas City offense. You know, they have that that dominant number one in Tariq Hill. Obviously a different right. type of receiver that of him versus Allen Robinson. Right. But Allen Robinson is that number speed. one in this offense. But if Darnell Mooney can be even, you know, Bear fans don't shoot me, but a, a poor man's Tariq Hill then what you get out of Allen Robinson makes the Bears receiving core better than Kansas City's. You know, they have Tariq Hill. They have Tariq Hill light in McCole Hardman. And after him, man, there's not a lot. They got that Demarcus yeah. Robinson. Sammy Watkins is in Baltimore now. You know, they yeah. don't have a whole lot outside of Tariq Hill and McCole Hardman at receiver in Kansas City. So I, you look at a Bears offense that has, you know, Darnell Mooney who – runs the same 40, does all the things that Tariq Hill does, if he could do them at that level, obviously it takes the Bears to another level, especially if he could do it that that high or even close to what Tariq Hill does. And then you factor in Allen Robinson out there too. And then you've got guys like Goodwin, Anthony Miller, um, Demir Bird. Uh, you're right, Daz Newsome. They say he'll be back before the season. So Daz Newsome, uh you know, we see Cole Komet take those next steps that he needs to take at tight end. If he could be that that Travis Kelsey type in the offense, you know, the, the the offense has all those things. Even whether it's Andy Dalton in the in the short term or Justin Fields in the long term, it has all right. the the possible ingredients you need to have a deadly offense. And now you have an offensive line that can block as well. You know, so whether that right tackle is solidified with a Fetty whether it's Borum, whether it's Mitchell Schwartz, they bring him in, whether they do any, whatever they do, you're already making those steps towards being a high-powered offense. Oh, absolutely agree. We're definitely going to see some improvement with the offense this season. I would be happy if we were ranked top 15, top 16, Fuck top that. half of the league. Top five. I would love to be in the top five, but, you know, even a move into the top 15 – would be a step in the right direction after being in the bottom pile of the league the last two years. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's I'm, I know it's, I'm optimistic, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I know it's a weird spot for Bears fans to be in, but this is you finally have a lot of those things that you know you, you've always had to be a meathead fan to to cheer about. You actually right. have all those pieces now to be a fan and be and be excited about this Bears offense. You know, whether it's the yeah. Justin Fields quarterback long term, or Tevin Jenkins, um, you know, Allen Robinson being back in with Darnell Mooney taking those next steps, Cole Komet, you know, showing it towards the end of the year why they they use that pick on him in the second round the year before, um, yeah. Graham in the red zone, you know, a lot of things. They you know they they have a lot of pieces that do what you want them to do, and now it's just a matter of putting it together and. It's finally, you know, I'll tell you this much, whether it's Andy Dalton out there this year or Justin Fields at some point this year or even Justin Fields going in next year, I'll tell you the one thing that is no longer going to be able to be debated is was it Trubisky or was it Nagy that was holding this team back? You're going to yeah, find absolutely. out because Nagy is going to take over the play calling and we are going to see things that we didn't see before because, frankly, I think if it goes the way I think it is, I think he just wasn't comfortable calling those plays with – Trubisky out there running this offense so we'll see you know if some of the same stuff that he called before works now and we see some of the stuff that we've been waiting for that comes out you know then maybe it was it was Mitch and I you know I've been strongly right. a strong advocate of Matt Nagy there was you can't tell me that 
he was a good enough coach to get them in his first year to the to the playoffs and should have beat Philadelphia to being the same coach that couldn't even get the ball past midfield. It's just, right. just going to tell me that I don't believe it. I don't, you know, especially mostly with the same team. It's not like a bunch of guys they didn't have anymore, you know, that made him his job so much easier that year in the playoffs. I just, I just think it was the quarterback play point blank. I think they couldn't, they didn't trust the quarterback to not turn the ball over and to make the plays. I don't think Trubisky was able to read the defense enough to see it. And I don't think the offensive line was able to even hold their ground long enough to do anything. You know, if you're trying to, whether you're trying to throw the ball or you're trying to run the ball and your offensive line is losing two to three yards per play. I mean, after a while you just start chucking the thing like, well, shit, I just got to go downfield. So like I said, either way, it's going to, we're going to find out over the next, you know, 18 months, we're going to find out exactly what the problem in Chicago was, is, and who they're going to be. And with Nagy calling the plays again, we'll see a lot more tight end sweeps. <laughs> you know I hate the tight end sweep, but hey, that you know said, nobody complains in Kansas City when it goes for touchdowns in the Super Bowl. That's true, but every time we ran it, it ended for a three-yard loss, so <laughs> we shall see. We will. Uh, we will definitely see. Before we move on here, guys, we're going to take a quick break and give you a word from our one of our sponsors here at 1252 Sports, the Jonathan Darren team with the Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group out in Homer Glen. So here's that. Here's their ad, guys. Go buy a house. Hi, I'm Jonathan Darren, licensed real estate broker with Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group in Homer Glen. Are you looking to buy or sell? Have you been disappointed in the past? The Jonathan Darren team with Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group focuses on providing you with a concierge level of service during the process of buying or selling. We are a service-oriented team with a fresh and professional approach to selling real estate. Our goal is to combine knowledge, skills, and passion to exceed our clients' expectations. And most of all, we truly care. We are a knowledgeable real estate team focused on offering expertise and innovative solutions for our clients. The Jonathan Darren team has five full-service real estate brokers and a dedicated full-time marketer servicing all of Chicagoland. We will customize a detailed plan around your timeline for a sale, purchase, investment, estate, or other needs. Real estate transactions can be stressful, but don't need to be. Let us handle it for you. Visit our website, homesbyjdt.com, or call 708-308-1938 today. Expect better in real estate. Choose the Jonathan Darren team. All right, guys, that was a quick word from our sponsor, the Jonathan Darren team out in Coldwell and the Coldwell Banker Real Estate team out in Homer Glen. If you're looking to buy a home in the area, be sure to reach out to John and his team. They're the best. They will hook you up. Now, Vince, moving on from football a little bit, I do want to segue. Let's talk some NBA playoffs. I know you're big on NBA playoffs. I know it's your favorite time of year. I'm actually watching the Hawks and the the 76ers right now. Who's up in that game? Uh, Philly's up 57-51 with a minute 30 left in the first half. Okay. I That's kind of how I expected that game to go, but we'll see how it goes down the stretch here. A lot of basketball to still be played, obviously, yeah, in the second absolutely. half. Philly, man, that team. I'm not a big Ben Simmons advocate. There's a lot of guys that love Ben Simmons. You know what? I, I feel like it's really hard. Like, you have to, you have to really work to be a Ben Simmons fan. Yeah, he makes it difficult for sure with his lack of uh, the three-point shot, obviously. You know, I mean, if you watch his game, though, it's not just a three-point shot. Like, he doesn't have much of a mid-range either. Like, he just – No. So, but see, so now I say that he comes from – you know, he's playing that swing position. He The thing is he guards one through five. 
You know, they started him at center the one the game Embiid was out. So you see yeah. Simmons, he you know, the they drive in on Embiid and Embiid force him to the middle and Simmons comes from behind and swats it off the glass. Then he's athletic enough to reach behind him, grab the rebound, go up court and lay it in at the other end in like three in between three defenders, he lays it in. So I mean right. like, what he does, he does really, really well. It's just he's very just limited. So weird to see a guy today not be able to shoot at all, right? Especially at that level. I mean, on a playoff caliber team. I but, mean, and to in a guy that was, you know, I don't remember if he went one overall that year, or but he definitely was at the top of the draft. You know, he yeah, he, I think he went number one overall. Actually, I do believe you're right. Yeah, you know, in the year he came out of LSU, man, it was like, man, this is the guy. He's the He's the next LeBron James, and you know, then he gets to the For NBA, sure. and it's like, can you Where? shoot? Like, you right. know, he reminds me of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Smalls from The Sandlot. <laughs> Just put your glove up, and I'll hit it to you. And they hit it to me. He runs the ball back into the infield, and you're like, can you throw? What are you doing? Right. No, that's I, feel I feel like every time I see Ben Simmons wide open in a corner, he gets the ball, and he's like, ah. And he just yeah. drives and lays it in. It's like, what happened to the three? You were, you you were wide open. open. Shot, right. You know, so it's like, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, and like you said, I, I love basketball. I love watching it. Um, it's probably the most out of anybody in 1252. Uh, Alan likes it a lot too, but, you know, uh, yeah. he's more of a Bulls guy than he is an NBA guy. But, you know, it, you hear a lot of guys about Ben Simmons. They, they say, you know, he can't shoot, blah, blah, blah. He's limited. I mean, but he's a guy that is a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. He's can guard one through five. You know, he's right. six, he's six seven, six eight. He's got that long wingspan. He's fast enough to play to start at guard. He plays point guard, but then he can also switch and play power forward, small forward to two. Uh, you know, he doesn't really make a lot of sense at the, at the two, but, you know, it's called a shooting guard for a reason. Right. Uh, you know, but he can play the guard, both guards, both forwards. Then he can play center. So, and he's big enough to to bang, and nobody really bangs down there anymore, anyways. So he can get away with playing center. So I mean, he does. Right. I see the value to him in a team. You know, it's just a matter of you got to build your team a little differently. You know, he can't be the guy that's going to lead you in scoring. You know, Joel Embiid, no. he's a great big man shooter or shooting big oh, man, you want to call. but he's not a great shooter. Those are two different things. Nobody's going to mistake Joel Embiid for Steph Curry. No, uh, absolutely not. Even when know, he is putting so, up fifty a game, right? So you got Embiid back there to shoot a little bit. You've got uh, you know, and he stretches it where most centers don't. Um, right. You know, you've got the addition of Seth Curry and um, uh, I for, I'm forgetting the other guard that they got out there, but you know, they've got a guy to get brought in Danny Green. So they tried to bring in shooters to make up for the lack of shooting you get out of Ben Simmons. The only problem I have with Ben Simmons is I feel a lot of times they want to run the offense through him. And it's one thing if he's playing the point and he's distributing, but when you don't have to worry about him shooting, guys tend to just play off and not allow him to get to the rim. Like if I'm playing Ben Simmons, I'm just going to build a wall in front of the paint and not let you go there. Agreed. So that's why when they lose, they, they don't shoot very well. And I know that sounds like a given, yeah. but, you know, we saw Milwaukee last night score 86 points and still beat the Nets. 
So, I mean, you can you can win when you don't score. It's just hard when you don't have the shooters that some teams have. Yeah, you know, one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about, Vince, and I didn't get the chance last week because you were off. I, I want to just go right into it. You mentioned the man a little bit. LaFlop James. Mr. Mrs. Queen James over there for the Lakers, man. This guy right here, I just want to say the GOAT debate is over, right? There's no way he's on par even in the same conversation as Michael Jordan after a first-round playoff exit. And after the disrespectful walk-off of the sideline that he did with six minutes left in the game. Okay, so here's here's my take on it. I think if – and I don't mean you as in you personally. I mean you as no. in whoever's having this conversation. If you think that the conversation of of the goat is over because of the first round exit, you never were gonna you never were gonna think he was the goat in the first place. I, I never if, have. Hold on, and, and if you don't think that the conversation was affected by the first round exit, I don't think you ever thought he wasn't going to be the goat. I think whatever at this point in LeBron James' career, whatever choice you've made on who that number one is, whether it's LeBron or whether it's MJ. I don't think anything changed by this playoff series. Michael lost in the first round. They, I know nobody likes to talk about it. Don't get me wrong. I'm a huge MJ fan, diehard. I think MJ's the GOAT. I do. But Agreed. I don't, you know, a lot of people say, oh, MJ would have never, MJ would have Well, he did. I mean, MJ lost to Detroit, what, three years in a row? I mean, yeah. you know, if LeBron would have lost to the same team, Three years in a row, everybody would have said he's a bitch. He can't, you know, he's not tough enough. He's not mentally tough enough. He's not good enough. He, If he's really the GOAT, he should have carried his team past them, blah, blah, blah. It, it's all the same rhetoric, whatever side of the conversation you fall on. Well, I mean, the man did change the game. After all, they put a flop button in NBA 2K after him, so... <laughs> Look, no, but in all seriousness you're not wrong on anything you say you, but in not, all seriousness you know, man the and honestly before we move on honestly that's part of what i've always said because i've always been an advocate that he's not the goat is he the have we ever seen anybody like him no we've never no. seen a dude his size be as fast as he is, play point guard, pass like he does, defend like he does, do all the things he does. And obviously, you know, the whole, well, in this year of his career versus Michael and this and that, none of that holds any water. LeBron was in the NBA at 18 years old. Michael played four, you know, four years in college before he got to the NBA. All those right. things skew those numbers forever. Well, and it's a totally different league. However... I and absolutely it's a completely different league. However, I will say this. If you are the greatest player in the world, which for a while he was the greatest player in the world, I personally don't believe he's any longer the greatest player in the NBA. I still think he's top three or so, but I don't believe he's the best player in the NBA anymore. Who and is if he, if he is, then he's definitely not dominant, like unanimously the best player in the NBA. I think KD at this point, KD is unstoppable. He's seven Agreed. feet tall. He shoots in your face. Doesn't matter if you contest it or not, any of that stuff. However, I will say this. If you are the greatest player in the world, you do not have to flop. You do not 
have to cry to the refs. You, you do not have to do all the things that is the other side of LeBron. Because the one side is everything that I just talked about that made him the best player in the world and made him the most unique player we've ever seen in the NBA. Right. The other side of it is what cancels all of that out. The flopping, the complaining, all the extra shit that doesn't yep. you don't need to do if you're the best in the world. You know, they, they always say if you're the best in the world, you don't have to tell anybody you're the best. People are going to tell you you're the best. Exactly. Agree 100%. And I'm glad I could get your take on that because I knew we were feeling the same. We just didn't have a chance to touch base. No, on I, like I said, I, I definitely I can respect the player that LeBron has been his entire career, um, you know, and for me to take it a step farther. I respect who he is or at least who I feel he is off the court. Oh, absolutely. 100%. You know, despite all the, all the moves in the NBA, whether it was to go to Miami, to go back to Cleveland, to go to L.A., all those things, he's never seemed to lose focus on what's important to him off the court. Whether oh, it be social injustice, whether it be making Akron a better place than it was when he was there, whether yeah. it's the school that he's built – the scholarships he's given out, all those things, yeah. May, you know, it, it, if he didn't have those other things, I think it's a slam dunk conversation. He's the greatest player to ever play. Because as human beings, we see all those other things and go, but I, I want to like this guy. I want to be in his court. But then he does all those extra things, and they're like, man, fuck this guy. You know, all the off-the-court things, I do have to say, I respect the hell out of the man LeBron James is off the court. He does a lot for his community, as you mentioned, you know, the school, uh, making Akron a better place than it was when he went. I mean, everything he does off the court is tremendous, and he's a great community leader. With that being said, on the court, I can't stand him. I can't stand the flopping. The flopping fucking kills me. <laughs> you flop, and then you lay on the ground and complain that you're sore, for 20, 30 seconds, you barely get poked in the eye and you lay on the ground longer than a baseball player that got hit in the face with a fucking fastball. <laughs> get out of here, man. Get, you're not telling me I've been poked in the eye. Being poked in the eye does not hurt as bad as getting hit in the face with a fastball. <laughs> and that baseball player was up in 60 seconds or whatever it was, and LeBron was on the court for 80 seconds after he got poked in the eye. Get out of here with that shit. <laughs> I don't need that. I don't need that from any player, and that's not a leader on the court, man. And what he did when he walked to the locker room and left his team out there in that blowout game with six minutes left, that's unacceptable. And I don't care who you are. If I'm the head coach of that organization, I'm pulling you to the side and having a conversation with you, whether you're, whether you're LeBron James, whether you're Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, I don't care who you are. That is unacceptable, and you're supposed to be the leader of that team, and you walk off – the court on your team and just say, oh, man, fuck this. The game's over. No, get out of here with that. I mean, That's now, unacceptable. To, to be fair, and obviously we don't know which side of this is the truth, but the report did come out that he was going into the locker room for treatment, that he was getting treatment, no. and they, they were not – he was not going to play the rest of the game, so they, they had him come in for treatment to get that taken care of, you know, prior to the next game. But I'm with you. It, no. Whether that's what it was, or even if that is what it was, it looks bad. It's not. It's it not does. what you see from the best in the world. Um, you know, it's it, not. It's not but, just what you see from a team leader in general. You know, right. 
this guy's supposed to be the leader of men, so to speak, and be the guy that all his teammates can look up to. Well, I can't look up to a teammate that walks off the court six right. minutes early. No way. You so know, we got a question I, here in the chat real quick. Uh, are the Phoenix Suns the best team in the NBA right now? No, the Brooklyn Nets are the best team in the NBA right now. What do you think, Vince? You know, the the I think the the most important part of that question is the last two words in that sentence. Right now. Right now. What Phoenix has done the first two games against Denver, mind you, there's no Jamal Murray. Right. But there was no Jamal Murray against Portland either. Right. They have completely destroyed Denver. That's true. I like Denver. I'm a huge Jokic fan, as everybody knows. And that watches this show knows I'm a huge Nikola Jokic fan. The Joker. What Phoenix is doing right now, they are the most complete team in the NBA. The best ability is availability. If James Harden can't play more than 38 seconds because his hamstring keeps going, I can't trust that he's going to play this entire playoffs. So all I can do is go off who they have right now. And the way they looked last night, they did not look like the best team in the NBA. Chris Paul, when healthy, is the best point guard in the NBA. He does Whoa. it all. If you need him to score, he will give you 25, 30 points. If you need him to have assists, he'll score two points or six points, but he'll have 18 assists. He plays defense. He knows where to be. He knows how to get the most out of his teammates. He is, to me, the most complete point guard in the NBA. So he's better than Steph Curry and Dame Lillard. Complete? Yes. He is more complete than either one of them. Is okay. he is uh, they both are better shooters than him. But that's down. not what we're talking about. Well, we're, we're talking, talking about complete, complete player. player. Yeah. And then you move to the two guard. Devin Booker is just as good as any other two guard in the NBA. He can shoot the best of them and he's athletic for days. Yes. He doesn't always play the best defense, but he at least the effort is there at night in, night out, every night. You keep moving through that team. DeAndre Ayton is playing the best basketball of his career. Yep. DeAndre Ayton's thing coming out was, and why he was the number one pick, he was a shooter. He was a scorer. He was a block shot, a shot blocker. He was all those things. The one thing DeAndre Ayton has never been is that bulldog defender. He, right. he's great for those block shots, altered shots, but he's not just a hard nose, in-your-face type of guy. Right. So what did Phoenix do? They went out and got the most hard-nosed, grinding, in-your-face dude in the NBA, Jay Crowder. Crowder, yeah. if nothing else, you will, you'll know you went against him every night. So he, he is that energy. He makes up for all those things. Not to mention he can shoot. He can dunk. He can do all those things on top of the defense. Yeah. So when you've got those three pieces running together, and then you get the bridges and the other guys they have, that team, to me, is very, very complete. If there is a team that is better than them, I will agree with you that it is the Nets. Because of those things we talked about, Kevin Durant, in my mind, is the best player in the NBA today. He's he is the monster. best player in the world today. You've got him. Kyrie Irving, despite all the other stuff with Kyrie Irving, the off-the-court stuff, the commitment issues, 
all those things about Kyrie Irving, when it gets time to him being on the court, he's top five point guard in the NBA when he's on the court. If they Agreed. get James Harden back and he can play the rest of the playoffs, they will be in the finals. I don't know that it'll be against Phoenix. If Phoenix plays the way they are, it will be against Phoenix. Utah looks really good right now. You know, can those teams stay there? If if James Harden comes back healthy and Kevin Durant stays healthy, Kyrie Irving stays focused, I think the Nets win the championship. I think the Nets win the championship regardless. I don't think any team has enough in the tank to stop them. Uh, our guy Angelo is asking, is Chris Paul the most underrated point guard in the game? Yes. I don't know that I'd say he's the most underrated. I, I would. everybody at this point feels he's, you know, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. I think sometimes people forget how truly good he is, but I don't know he's the most underrated. You know, I, I as good as he is and as a lot of, you know, people talk about him a lot about how good he is. I think Steph Curry is actually one of the most underrated point guards in the NBA. I feel like a lot of people uh, feel like he's not as good as he really is. Steph Curry's more of a shooting guard than a point guard, though, in my opinion. I mean, look, he's he distributes the ball, he drives, he shoots, his defense has gotten better, he leads, he you know, he plays point guard. He in in today's NBA, if you handle the ball you're a point guard understood you know, James I guess Harden is the point guard of the Nets I guess with um, the way the LeBron is the, the point guard of the Lakers Ben Simmons is the point guard of uh, the Sixers you've now right. got Jokic is the point guard of the Nets especially with no Jamal Murray so I think the, the whole point guard conversation I, I just call them guards now because they just you know they play guard they don't play point guard or two guard anymore. You know, you look at the Bulls, Zach Levine, it, it really is whoever's controlling the ball is technically your point guard. Um, but I guess in a long about way to answer the question, is he the most underrated point guard? I don't know if he's the most, but he's definitely up there. Understood. So you already gave your final take, I guess, on the playoffs. You said you think the Nets win it all. I have to agree I think with it you. Goes the, I think it goes the Nets and the Suns, and I think it's a knockdown, drag out. Seven-game series? Who's got a, I don't know if it goes seven. You know, when you get teams that are that good, you only have to be just a little bit better each game, and all you got to do right. you can quickly go up three games to none. Like, even look at last night, Milwaukee and the Nets. Um you know, if Drew Holiday doesn't make that spinning layup with 11 seconds left, um, then, you know, it, it very easily could have been 3-0 Nets and that series is over. No matter what happens in the next game, the series is over. Now, if the way it happened, if um, Milwaukee finds a way to win game four, we're back to 2-2. So, you know, it, it – the, the thing with playoffs, man, it can go any way with the, the swing of a game could go in just two possessions could change the outcome of a game. So, uh, but I think either one of those teams, you know, the Kevin Durant, you're going to get what you get out of Kevin Durant. You know, like I said, James Harden is back and Kyrie Irving is focused, you know, they're those three going against Phoenix, you know, you look at what else the Nets have in, Blake Griffin and um, DeAndre Jordan and 
uh, Joe Harris and some of these guys that people don't even remember about or think about, you know, they like to your point, they are that complete of a team. Uh, the only thing I will say, I think Phoenix just has a little more grit to them, you know, than the Nets have. Okay. So, you know, they who who on the Nets is going to guard DeAndre Ayton? You know, who's going to guard uh, Crowder? You know, you say Durant, well, okay, that's great, but then who's going to guard Devin Booker? You know, and right. then you can say, okay, we'll put Kyrie on him. Well, then who's going to guard Chris Paul? So you probably match up. You probably match up. Harden on Chris Paul, Kyrie Irving on Devin Booker, and KD on – I don't know if they go KD on uh, on Aiton or if they leave uh, KD on Crowder or how that goes, but or even Bridges. But somebody's going to have to guard DeAndre Aiton by right. the basket and away from the basket, which then is going to pull the defender, whether whoever that is, away from the basket as well. So – you know, it, it, I could see, I could see that being one of those championship series that goes either way. Okay, I definitely agree. I think it's going to be down to those two, and I think that it's going to be the Nets that come out on top. But I think it, it may be a little bit more of a dragged out uh, series than people are anticipating. I mean, the volume, the scoring volume on both sides is definitely there, and it'll be interesting to see how the two teams match up. I mean, obviously, right now the Nets are in the series with uh, Giannis and the yeah. Bucks, and the Bucks just don't have enough, man. As much as I love Giannis Antetokounmpo as a player, and I love seeing him out there on the court, they don't have enough pieces around him to be successful in the playoffs. You at know, this point. this this is an unpopular thought or take, whatever term you want to use, but I think that the thing that holds the Bucks back the most is Giannis. I think Giannis gets exposed in the playoffs. He okay. is not what you'd call a consistent shooter. You know, no. he's not a guy that is going to handle the ball. No. He is a guy that uses his length to play defense and play to passing lanes and block shots and he can score mid he's got a good mid-range because he's so yeah. damn tall, and he's got the length to make plays in and around the basket. But, you know, you brought in Drew Holiday to be that guy that brings the ball up the court, and then now you still see the ball in Giannis's hands at the end of the game or in those crucial situations, and it's not where he his strong point is at. And, you know, the, the thing about Giannis is he's very – not one-dimensional, but he's – where he still shoots like he's a shooter. You know, Chris right. Middleton is who they put around him, and Chris Middleton is very inconsistent as well. You know, when they're on, they're dead on where they don't miss. Like, nothing in this league I've seen don't miss. But when they're off, they're completely off. You know, I, so. I do see what you're saying there. I mean, Giannis is one of those love or hate guys. I. Personally, I like what he does in the paint. Obviously, you can't argue that. But he's not a well-rounded three-level center like a guy like Joel Embiid is. I love Joel Embiid at the center position. Yeah, I mean, the guy, can, the guy can consistently shoot a few threes a game, make them comfortably. He can do everything fine in the paint. He's the well-rounded center that you want in today's NBA. Him and Nikola Jokic both 
Yeah, are, you know, I would have loved to see Jamal Murray not tear his ACL and been in his playoffs. You know, I, I think it would have been a completely different series between them. And it, They're only down 2-0. They play tonight. Maybe they win tonight, and then they win the next game. It's back to 2-2. You know, you never know. But right, right. now, Denver just looks completely un, under under mat, or overmatched and underarmed against uh, Phoenix. You know, and I just don't think they're, you know, they're they, what Denver does, they're really good at. But with the things they don't do without Jamal Murray, they're really bad at. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton, outside of Joel Embiid, DeAndre Ayton might be one of the only centers that can stay step for step with Jokic and stay with him and, you know, not be affected by the athleticism, the passing, all of those things. Um, but I'm, a, you know, like I said, I'm a big Jokic fan. I would have loved to see them come out of the West. We'll see what happens, but there's the one thing right. for sure is I think in the East you can't you got to say that no matter what the the Nets look like the the odds on favorite and the most strong powered team that's gonna somebody's gonna have to go through. I would agree. Uh, really good talk there on the playoffs, Vince. I know you've been wanting to talk some basketball, so I'm glad we had the opportunity to do that. Uh, before we move on to the rest of the show, I mean, we still do have some baseball to talk about. Obviously, today was opening day 2.0 with Wrigleyville being at full capacity. Uh, we got to talk about that, and we definitely have to touch on that Floyd Mayweather fight because I want to know your thoughts on that, too. Before we move on, guys, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor, Nick and Ivy, in beautiful downtown Lockport, Illinois. Hello, this is Paul from Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. We are located at 1026 South State Street in historic downtown Lockport, Illinois. We are very excited to be partnering up with the Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show as well as the 1252 brand because we are one of the few Chicagoland breweries that embrace sports and sports culture. Come in for a fresh brewed beer made right here in Lockport while catching the game of your favorite team. Stay for the live music that we have booked every weekend or just come for a cozy atmosphere to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, loved one, or complete stranger. Nick and Ivy makes you feel right at home no matter what the occasion is. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. Visit our website for our up-to-date tap list or to go shopping on our online store at nickivybrewing.com. That's N-I-K-I-V-Y brewing.com. Come in today for a fresh brewed beer born and raised in Lockport, Illinois. All right, guys, and again, that was a quick word from our sponsor, Nick and Ivy Brewing, out in beautiful downtown Lockport, Illinois. Vince, man, the Cubs obviously are back to full capacity now. We saw that today, and you saw the excitement that was around that stadium. Obviously, the perfect time to do it with the series opening with the Cardinals. Uh, Cubs got a big win today as well. What do you think about this Cubs team right now? You know, I mean, the the thing about this team is they – they're surprising everybody, but they're surprising everybody by everything they did, excuse me, the year they won the World Series. You know, Anthony Rizzo is being that clutch guy. You know, today, I believe it was the fifth inning or the sixth, I'm sorry, the sixth inning. They're down 5-4. He's up. There's one out, nobody on. He proceeds to have a 14-pitch at bat. The 14th pitch of the yep. bat, he hits one out to tie the game at five. You know, I mean, stuff like that, Javi's base running, Javi's plays in the field, Chris Bryant, you know, seeming to always have a hot bat. You know, those are the guys, Contreras playing, you know, he's had a good year. 
Uh, you know, I know he's dealt with some injuries lately, but the the year he's had, those are the guys that you look to lead this team. You know, and then you look at a guy like Craig Kimbrell, who finally looks like the guy that you paid all that money to in the first place. You know, yeah. you don't know where that was the last two years or why it took till now to find it, but you know, maybe it's Ross, maybe it's whatever it is. I don't even want to speculate on what it is, but the guy looks like Craig Kimbrell again. And, you know, all the, the whole year, all we thought was let's get to the deadline so we can move these guys, Kimbrell and Bryant and move these guys off the books and open up that, that money to make this team better going into next year. And now we find ourselves right, you know, first place, Playing, playing St. Louis, beating St. Louis, you know, now we're moving towards the deadline is, hey, what can we add to this team to go for the World Series this year? Um, you know, obviously last year was tough, man. It was a 60-game season. You know, guys that got into slumps, just I don't feel like they had the time to come out of them. And right. there might have been a little extra pressure. And I know a lot of people like all oh, the professional baseball players, they're paid a lot of money, blah, 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 blah. They're still human beings, man. Nobody wants to be yeah. bad at the job. So, you know, it, it's every year we see some of the guys, not just the Cubs, but around baseball, they don't get hot till the sun comes out. You know, the temperatures rise. They say the temperature rises, so do batting averages. And last year, you didn't have that luxury. You didn't have the chance to wait. By the time it got hot out, you were a lot of teams were already out of the playoff runs, the playoff. Right. So, you know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a little bit that they weren't as bad as we thought they were and people over – you know, over freaked out about last year. And maybe it's just, they're just a little better than they're playing better than they've played the last couple of years. But regardless, this team is doing the things it takes to win baseball games. And they've put themselves right. in a position now to be in first place and to be one of, I think the latest power rank is they have them listed fifth in the league. You know, yeah. they're one of the teams now that you don't want to play the Cubs. And that's how they were the year they went to work team. Nobody wanted to play the Cubs in the summer and you you're back to being that type of team. So my question then would be, Vince, are the Cubs buyers or sellers at the deadline? I think it all depends what happens between now and then. You know, if you go, if you get to the deadline and you're five games out and you're just a couple games over 500, then maybe you sell a guy like Kimbrell and you hold on to Bryant and you try to re-sign him in the offseason, but you, 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 you trade Kimbrell for some prospects or whatever you can get for him. You know, some of these pieces that you don't really think are going to be that important if, you know, for what you do the rest of the year and you still try to, you know, you half sell, you sell those guys, but you hold on to the Chris Bryans and Baez and Rizzo and those guys and Contreras and you try to ride it out and maybe you get hot and you still make the playoffs, you win the division, that type thing. But if you full off sell, well, now you're saying, okay, we're not going after it. But if they get into this deadline in first place or shit, even three games out of first, if you're in really, you know, a legitimate shot at the division, you can't sell. You have to and you have to. You owe it to the fans. You owe it to the, the players. You owe it to everybody. You owe it to the city of Chicago to go out there and do whatever you can do to make this team better and go acquire the pieces. Because I'll tell you what, this deadline, there will be players available. There will be guys available yeah. for teams to go get. And if you need a starter – you don't need those prospects you used to need to go get those guys anymore because teams are looking to unload a payroll, you know? So if right. you want to go get a pitcher, go get a pitcher. You need a, another outfielder, go get an outfielder. You need both, go get both. You know, you yeah. the, the whole excuse of Ricketts losing money, that's not going to be a, a thing anymore. You're not going to be able to say, well, we lost too much money. We don't, we only have so much money to go get players. If you're 
within a shouting reach of the division or, you know, even the way they are now in first place when you get to the deadline, then you owe it to, like I said, everybody involved to go get the necessary pieces to go make a legitimate shot at the World Series. We got a comment here in the chat from Ace saying, trade KB for some prospects or pitching and then re-sign him in the, in the offseason, pull a Yankee move, essentially. That's what the Cubs need to do. So I've heard a lot of people say this, and my thing is I don't see that happening. The relationship between the Cubs and Chris Bryant and Chris Bryant's agent, Scott Boris, has not been one of smooth sailing. Um, right. I believe that when the Yankees traded our oldest Chapman to the Cubs, they went to him prior and said, look, we're going to trade you to somebody who's ready to compete right now. Go take your shot at a World Series, whatever you can do. We are going to be interested in re-signing you in the offseason. We, but we cannot, we can't turn down the opportunity to get Gliber Torres and whoever the other prospect was they got for Earl's Chen. Right. They, they just couldn't turn it down. So they said, look, but we would like to have you back. But they also had the the luxury that if they were unable to re-sign Aroldis Chapman in the offseason, they had Andrew Miller and they had uh, Dylan Batances. They had guys that could step into that spot. So the problem with the Cubs is if you say that and you go, okay, well, let's trade KB, and then you go to sign him in the offseason, and now everybody else is involved, you're now trying to outbid everybody else. You don't have anybody to take his spot. You, you He could always turn around and make you pay double for – you know, what you could have got them for because you traded them. I just think there's too many unknowns to pull that off with, with the way the Cubs' relationship with Chris Bryant has been. Understandable. I definitely respect the opinion there, and I get it. As you said, it's been a rocky road for the Cubs and Chris Bryant over really over the last couple of years. Obviously, there's been pressure on him to succeed, and he hasn't been the player that we've hope that he would be over the last two seasons or so. So you know, and, and the other thing, the way Chris Bryant's playing right now, I don't think you could justify trading him, no matter what you get in return for him. I don't think you could justify trading him if you're in that argument for the division. A right. it sends a bad message to the fans, but more than that, it sends a horrible message to the team that it really doesn't matter how good you guys are playing. We're gonna sell off pieces anyways. And right. I think if Chris Bryant gets out of Chicago, I think he goes to Philadelphia. You know, him and Bryce Harper have said many times they've wanted to play together. They grew up together. They're best friends. They, you know, they were in each other's weddings that they want to play together. And I think that's where he winds up is Philadelphia. If, if he doesn't stay here on the north side, I think he winds up in Philadelphia. Interesting. Yeah, I could see it. Obviously, like you said, he has that relationship with Bryce and they want to play together. So I don't think Bryce is coming over to Chicago. No, and, he's not going to be Chicago and Philadelphia, man. They, they spent a lot of money on Bryce Harper and on a lot of pieces. They paid Andrew McCutcheon. They paid a lot of guys that haven't panned out. You know, they even went they went as far as to go get Joe Girardi as, you know, as their manager, saying right. that, that was the best move they thought to win. Now you've got a if you've got a chance to go get Chris Bryant, especially the way he's playing, you know, don't be surprised to see Philadelphia offer him a $250, $300 million contract. Yeah, I don't disagree, and I think it could be a real possibility. I'd hate – I would hate for the Cubs to get nothing for Chris Bryant. At the end of the day, no matter what they do, they either have to retain him or get something. You can't just let him walk at the end of the year and get nothing out of the situation. Yeah, but if you trade – see, but if you trade him, you risk – you don't even get a – you don't even – you're not even at the negotiating table anymore. 
fair enough. I see both sides for sure. You know, so at least, and especially, like I said, how do you, how do you justify that? Um, you know, when you're in first place or just let's say two games back in of first place for the division, how do you say, well, we're, everything we've done has got us to this point. Well, now we're going to trade Chris Bryant because we're afraid we might lose him in the offseason for nothing. Right. So you can't really justify that at all. I mean, right. especially with the versatility that KB's shown this year. I mean, he's shown that he can play outfield. He's shown that he can be good at third or first. Right. Why not keep him around? Why not do whatever you can to make a guy like that happy? I just don't understand it. You know, I mean, the, the problem, you know, and it's been is that he's had two really, really bad years, you know, but he's now having that year this year that you're like, oh, that's the Chris Bryant that we all were willing to pay $300 million for, you know. So right. before, when he was playing the last two years, don't get it twisted. There's nobody around the majors that was going to give him that money. There just wasn't because you, he wasn't playing like the guy that deserves that kind of contract. But the way he's playing now, and then you add in, like you said, he plays all three outfield spots. He plays both corner infield spots. You know, he could bat two, two, three, four, or five, wherever you want to bat him. You know, he's now shown. Yeah, he's shown that he could be a guy that's worth that $250, 300000000 million. You know, and don't, for, don't sleep on the Mets either. You know, if he get if he gets to free agency, don't sleep on the Mets making a huge offer and putting him. How'd you like to have that as your the right side of your infield? You got uh, Francisco Lindor at short and Chris Bryant at third. That'd be a hell of a combination for sure. You know, now, so I want to move on from the Cubs, Vince. Let's talk a little bit of White Sox before we wrap the show up with that hot topic of a fight that happened the other night. I'm still pumped about that, but. Uh, the White Sox, man, obviously the best team in baseball right now. Their pitching core is the best pitching core in all of the league, in my opinion. Lucas Giolito has looked phenomenal the last couple starts that he's had. I, I'm a big Giolito fan. I mean, all around that entire bullpen, you know, everybody that they have in the starting roles has been successful, and they're, they are the team to beat right now in baseball. Agree? I mean, if they're definitely one of, you know, I don't know that I'm ready to say they're the team, but they're definitely right there. The the thing about the Sox is you look at what they're doing on a game-to-game basis, day in, day out, without guys like Lewis Robert, Eloy. Um, now Madrigal's gotten hurt. Um, yeah. You know, Kopech has gotten hurt. You know, it doesn't seem to affect them no matter who gets hurt. And that's the big thing is you you hope that you're going to get some of these guys back here for the for the long run and for the playoff run. And if you are, you're just going to get that much better. But we've seen guys like Andrew Vaughn, maybe not as good as everybody thought he was going to play. And he wasn't going to he's not mashing home runs like everybody thought he would. But he's at least right. he's at least a guy that you feel comfortable running out there every day now. And he showed he, he could play the outfield way better than everybody thought he could. You know, the conversation went to, well, Eloy can't be DH because you got to have Andrew Vaughn at DH. Well, now it's gone to, well, Andrew Vaughn is a better outfielder than Eloy, so maybe Eloy's your DH, you know. But then what do you do with uh, Mercedes? And, you know, you got to play him as hot as he's been. Right. So the guys have stepped up. Like you said, Giolito has pitched. You know, he keeps every he keeps taking those steps to be a legitimate number one ace of the rotation. 
Um, and then, you, you know, Lance Lynn is that bulldog, go out there, get you the innings, get you the hard innings, that kind of guy. And Liam Hendricks in the bullpen has been everything we thought they were going to be, maybe not quite as dominant at times, the, the getting it to Liam Hendricks, but Liam's looked really good. Um, you know, Crotchet's looked good since they he's kind of rebounded since the start of the year. Um, you know, Hoyer, Hewer, Soto, some of those guys, they've just – better than we thought they were going to be. And right you know, here now we, they sit, it's kind of funny though. Um, you know, the, the two best teams in baseball right now that you think of are the white Sox and the Padres, both teams missing guys, key guys with injuries, you know, San Diego, that rotation could be a lot better if it had Clevenger and some of those guys in it, they're out with injuries, you know, you factored them in and then the, the ultimate wild card or the, you know, the, the piece that makes it the funniest that those two teams are ironic. Those two teams are battling it out for the best record in baseball is that Fernando Tatis, the face of the, of the major league face of MLB, the face of the Padres, all, all that. The only guy who could make Manny Machado seem like he doesn't even really, he's not even that important that he's on that team. The White Sox traded, traded him to San Diego for a bag of baseballs called James Shields. That's a good way to put it. A bag of baseballs. I love it. I mean, I mean because Sorry, not to cut you off, but, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day, and whenever I talk about this, guys always tell me it's usually those diehard White Sox fans. They're always like, James Shields, he just wasn't as good as he was supposed to be, blah, blah, blah. Even if James Shields was as good as he as you thought he was going to be when you traded for him at that time, which at that time you didn't – you weren't going to get an ace. So no. you were, you were going to get a guy that even if he was the, as good as you thought he was going to be when you traded for James Shields, it wouldn't have been worth – Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, obviously, you don't no. know that at the time when you trade these prospects, what they're going to turn out to be. There's been plenty that have been touted as the next, you know, just like Fernando Tatis Jr. And they turned out to be Corey Patterson over on the north side or Felix P.A. and all these guys that the Cubs have had that were the next big thing. So you don't know when you trade. It's just as ironic that now it's those two teams battling out. I got into it on, uh, on I don't know if it was either Facebook or Twitter with one of the, on the 1252 brand and one of the one of our fans was going back and forth with me about it they were saying that uh, they don't need Fernando Tatis on the south side and uh, they're better off without him because it wouldn't have worked with him and Tim Anderson and cuz he was like why well, you know we're fine with TA and I was like right but why why can't you have both and he was like why oh wouldn't you want both? And I was like well why not you couldn't play one at second base you couldn't play one at third you couldn't play one in the outfield like, I, I feel like you could always find a, a place for a Tim Anderson, a Fernando Tatis, you know, whether oh, or that would have been in the field. Yeah, you can't tell me you wouldn't want to have those two guys on a team. Yeah, so, yeah he was crazy. real meatheadish, real going back and forth. With, and he just wouldn't come off the stance that if they had Fernando Tatis, it would have meant that they didn't have Tim Anderson because the two wouldn't work together on the same team. And I was just like, all right, bro, you got it. You, yeah. you, you can go, you, you know, you, you're good. Yeah, some of those conversations you just got to take a step back and all right, it's not even worth the argument. Yeah, you know that's it, and you know I, I mean just obviously you wouldn't have because when you really sit down and think about it, if you can never say well if we would have had Fernando Tatis, all these guys with him included, because if you have Tatis, you probably something changes where you don't get the draft picks you had, different things. So obviously, right. it's never going to be the same. But just just to to the basic to sit back and think about it this White Sox team with Fernando Tatis Jr. on it is fun to think about. Oh, absolutely. I love what both the Cubs and the Sox are doing right now. 
I mean, it's a great time to watch baseball in the city of yep. Chicago, right? I mean, it's, if and, you really think about it, it's the perfect timing as they've built into this 100% capacity. You know, the Cubs hit it today. Uh, the Sox, I believe it's the 25th, I believe it is Friday the 25th. or Yeah, uh, that's right. That's when they hit their 100% capacity with their way their schedule works and everything. I mean, what what better thing to have both teams, you know, around or fighting it or in first place and not to mention it uh, you know we're 90 degrees today you're starting to get that summer weather oh god yeah both teams are playing first place baseball both of the top five in the mlb and power the power rankings oh and now we're both back to 100 percent capacity it's just flowing i mean you couldn't ask for anything more as a baseball fan in chicago right now and that's what i love with being full capacity right now the cubs cardinals as i said is the perfect way to start that but, yeah, it really, really but is. Honestly, the ass whooping that the Cubs put on the Cardinals today makes it all the more sweeter, right? Absolutely. Absolutely it is, you know. So it'll be interesting as this season goes on and you know everyone keeps talking about that Cubs socks and how that's gonna play out. And I can't wait. It's it's you know, it, it obviously it means different for, for so many years we've had it where all it meant was the BP cup because Nobody cared about the record because they both were in last place and nobody was going to the games and this and that. And yeah. now to have both teams in first place as they get closer to this matchup, you see them both in first place, the nice weather, full capacity coming out of the pandemic, everything going. You couldn't, like I said, you couldn't ask for anything more right now as a Chicago baseball fan and get those teams no. to play against each other. Two top five teams in, the, in majors go against each other. It's always fun. It's even more when they're, you know, crosstown rivals. Definitely. The Crosstown games are always some of my favorite baseball games to watch, whether both teams are good or not. As you said, you know, for a lot of years, it was just that Chicago rivalry. But I've always loved it. I've been out to a couple Crosstown games, both at uh, Wrigley and I I keep wanting to say Comiskey Park. That's what it'll always be to me. But over there at Guaranteed Rate, uh, both stadiums are tremendous. I'm not a Cubs fan that hates the Sox. Right. I follow the Sox. All all baseball in Chicago is good baseball to me. Yes, yeah, I am know, a Cubs uh, fan, but you know I'm a, I'm a diehard Cub fan. My dad is a diehard Sox fan. Um, right. You know, neither one of us really is that spiteful. You know, screw the other team type of fan. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I was very happy not only for him as a fan, but for obviously the city of Chicago when the White Sox won the World Series. Definitely. You know, if the Cubs aren't going to be – if the Cubs aren't an option, well, I'd rather Chicago win than somebody else, you know. And Agree, just, 100%. You know, it doesn't stop us from rooting against each other throughout the year, especially when they play each other. But when it comes to, you know, who's going to bring a championship home, if only one of them has an opportunity to do it, well, then we'd rather be that one than nobody. Right, and I'm going to root for whichever team it is 100% right. when it comes down to that. Absolutely. I agree. I'm so glad that you see that in the same perspective that I do. And you're not like that meatheaded Cubs fan. That's just like, Oh, fuck yeah, the White know, Sox. I, got, I got buddies that are Cub fans that would, you know, their favorite two teams in baseball is the Cubs and anybody playing the Sox. And then I got yeah. the same way with, I got Sox fan buddies that are the same way towards the Cubs. And it's like, you know, I, I would, I, I would never want to see the Cardinals beat the White Sox. Like I, I Nothing, nothing of that could I root for the Cardinals going against anybody. So if the White Sox are playing the Cardinals, I clearly would want the White Sox to beat the Cardinals. It has nothing to do with it doesn't diminish my, you know, fandom for the Cubs. I'm a diehard Cub fan. If I can only pick one team, it's going to be the Cubs. But if the Cubs aren't an option, then I'd rather see the city of Chicago win than lose. 
110%. Our guy Ace in the chat saying, fuck the White Sox. That's fine, Angelo. You can feel that way if you want to. I have nothing against the White Sox. Good and they're fun to watch. Chicago. Like, you know, it's not only not yeah. only as a as a you know from Chicago, but as a baseball fan, they're a fun team to watch, especially when they have everybody, when they're you know, not with the injuries right now, but everybody they have the you know, you look at the Eloys and the Lewis Roberts and uh Yoan Moncadas and Tim Andersons. Madrigal is a he's a throwback dude. He doesn't hit the ball real hard, but he don't ever strike out. He's always hitting the ball. You know, Jose Abreu's turned into one of the best. Uh, two out runners in scoring position, hitters in yeah. all of baseball. Uh, that's why he's the MVP last year. You know, I think I think Grandal is a piece of crap. I think he's useless, but you know, whatever. You're not a big great. Grandal he can't fan. Be great I didn't he can't that. be great everywhere. I I think he's trash. I think he's overrated. I think everybody always blobs and blobs about this guy about how great he is. He he sucks at, at catcher playing the plate. He's horrible with pitchers, and he sucks at hitting the ball. Hell, he hits some home runs, but he fucking sucks. I hate Grandal. But anyway, anyway, before I get too excited, anyways, yeah, to watch. Let's let's get off the Grandal train for yes. a second. Uh, no, as you said, man, it's it's a great time to be a baseball fan in the city of Chicago. Both teams are in first place. To, or well, I'm sorry, the Cubs aren't in first place anymore. They were there for a minute, right? They're still right there on the cusp. Yeah. It's a beautiful time to be a Cubs or White Sox fan in the city of Chicago. And, man, we've got a lot more. Philly is beating Atlanta down right now. What's the score? It's 91 to 73 with a minute left in the third quarter. Yep, that game's over. They're missing shots. And Joel Embiid is standing under the basket, out rebounding three Atlanta Hawks, including Clint Capella. Clint Capella, man, he was supposed to be this great center, two-way center, offense, defense, rebounds. Man, he's trash. Joel Embiid is standing against three dudes, out-rebounding all three of them, blocking shots, grabbing rebounds. They Philly missed a three. He grabbed the rebound over three guys, turned, and dunked the ball. Then on the other end, he out-rebounded all three of them for the rebound going the other way. They're That's actually wild. beating Atlanta down. Trey Young's not even in the game. He's like, screw this. <laughs> Yep, he's pulling a LeBron now, as long as he doesn't walk to the locker room. <laughs> right, absolutely. That. But real quick, before we wrap the show up, I, I do want to touch on that fight that happened, yes. that fight. But before we do that, let's take a quick word from our sponsor, the White Oak Farm venue. Honey, will you marry me? Yes, yes, yes. Let's get out of here. Come to Indiana's premier venue. Come to the farm. Come see all the wildlife. Come to White Oak Farm Venue in Michigan City, Indiana. Come to our 80-acre sanctuary right off I-94 in Michigan City, Indiana. Come see all we have to offer from two brand-new Amish-built barns with climate control. Come see the ponds with beautiful waterfalls, meadows and wildflowers, and so much more. Come see our secluded venue. After you enter our private road, you'll be in your own world away from it all, with outdoor ceremony spaces, wood-fired pizza ovens, and lots of fresh air. Come enjoy Northwest Indiana's premier wedding venue, where you gather with your family and friends. Stretch your legs and enjoy the most memorable day of your life. Visit White Oak Farm Venue at whiteoakfarmvenue.com or on Facebook slash Instagram.
Again, guys, that was a quick word from White Oak Farm Venue. If you're looking to get married and you're in the Chicagoland, Indiana area, please be sure to reach out to them. They're an awesome group of people out there, and uh, our guy Fat Mike loves the venue. That's where he's getting married, so should be a great time for him and beautiful place. Uh, real quick, guys, before we move into this last little bit of the show, we are going to play another quick snip from Mark Berardi and Associates. Call Mark Berardi, the best fucking lawyer in town. That's right. Call Mark Berardi, the best fucking lawyer in town. I love it. That's one of my favorite ads I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, with that being said, you know, Mark and his team are no frills guys. They're really cool, really down to earth team that he has out there. Uh, he's got an office in Homer Glen. I believe he's got a couple other locations in the area as well. If you're looking to have any sort of legal matters taken care of, please be sure to reach out to Mark and his team. They're the best. Uh, they've helped us here at 1252 tremendously, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor and reach out to them if you have any legal needs. With that being said, Vince, it's time to talk about what I've wanted to talk about since the beginning of the show. Don't you were ready wrong. to talk about this before the show even started. Don't get me wrong. I've loved everything we've talked about tonight. It's been great back and forth. But, man, this quote-unquote fight that happened between the – what was it Jake or Logan, Paul? Uh, Logan. Okay. I always get the two mixed up. Me they're too. Basically... I always I always forget which one is which. I th- I'm pretty sure it was Logan, Paul. They're, they're basically the same person. So we'll just say Paul and Mayweather. I watched the entire fight from start to finish, the prelims, all the hype around it. I watched it because I wanted to see how embarrassed he got in against a guy like Floyd Mayweather in the ring. What we saw instead was a 42, 43-year-old Floyd Mayweather out there holding the man up several times so he didn't fall to the mat. You saw him be completely gassed and outworked. I mean, the Conor McGregor fight was bad, but Conor McGregor is a fighter. Right. I don't think that Logan Paul is a fighter. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't want to go stand in the boxing ring with him for 10 rounds myself. But that being said, he's just hes an entertainer at this point. He is trying to get into the best physical shape and everything, doing all the right things that he needs to do to succeed in the sport. But these exhibition gimmicky matches against guys like he was the one that knocked out Nate Robinson, right? Yeah. So, you know, fights like that, fights against other YouTubers or whatever it is, that's not going to gain you any respect or contention right. in the sport. And I think it's a really bad look for the the sport of boxing as a whole when you've got a guy like that that's trying to draw fans away from, I would say, more meaningful matches, meaningful cards that could be – more competitive because at the end of the day, boxing is a very mental competitive sport in the fact that you've got to be two steps ahead of every move your opponent's making. And the big thing was he stood up with him for 10 rounds. Okay. He didn't get knocked out by Floyd, but Floyd's never really been known as a knock you out guy. I mean, I, I'm not a big Floyd Mayweather fan. Let me say that to start with. I think his fight against Manny Pacquiao was bullshit. I think Manny should have won that fight, and I will stand on my soapbox. And it was about that. five years too late. It was about five years too late, but I'll stand on my soapbox on that till the day that I'm done talking is I think Manny Pacquiao won that fight, and you won't change my mind. All that aside, 
Floyd Mayweather statistically on paper is one of the best to ever do it, right? Undefeated record, almost 50-0. and 0. Hell of a defensive fighter. I don't like defensive boxers. That's why I don't like Floyd Mayweather. Guys like Floyd Mayweather go out there and dance and duck until guys get tired, and it's not exciting. That's not exciting to me. I want to see guys go out there. I, I guess I'm more of the mentality like, I remember watching guys in the heavyweight division like, I'll give you an example of a guy who wasn't even that popular, but I loved watching him fight was Butterbean. You remember yep. Butterbean? Because mm-hmm. he would just go out there and swing for the fences until he knocked somebody out. You did, know, you ever see, did you ever see Butterbean in the WWF Brawl for All? I did. That was crazy. You're a liar. You didn't watch wrestling I, back then. I did. I kid you not. I did. I was bigger into wrestling then than I am now. I'll say that. He fought Bart Gunn. He knocked out Bart Gunn in real life. He threw a punch too hard and it knocked him out. Yep. I've I've watched. I believe I watched it live, and I've seen the clip many times. I'm very so, impressed. I didn't think you did. I, I literally only said that for Angelo. I didn't. Think I, that, I didn't think that you had any idea what I was talking about. I'm very in, impressed. In my younger years, I was much more into wrestling when it was in its what I would argue its prime with guys yeah. like Steve Austin, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. You know, all of those guys, late '90s, early 2000s. I. I can still tell you I remember exactly where I was when Kane took his mask off for the yeah. first time. Like I I'm very those, very impressed, Andrew. That was no. that was prime wrestling for me. Yeah, no, we, so we, there's a few things to you know take away from this whole Floyd Mayweather thing. First, before I go into that, we were talking earlier about what Ben Simmons does. He just had a one hand over the back, no look alley oop to Joel Embiid. Um but anyway. It'll make the highlight reel. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the thing with Floyd Mayweather, the he's everything you said. He doesn't fight anymore. He just runs around. He only took the fight because he knew that he could – He there was never a chance he could lose it. Um, you know, the problem with a lot of these fights, man, and it goes to what exactly what Chad Ochocinco said. You know, Ochocinco got knocked out. And the first thing he says is, I'm ready for Conor McGregor. Everybody's like, man, there's no way. He said, what do I care? He goes, what am I going to do, get knocked out again? You know how much money I'm going to make off that fight? Right. So it's the it's same all thing. hype. It's so the, the, the fallout from all of this, and like to your point, it was very much one-sided, is now you got a guy like Floyd Mayweather made $100 million, and Logan Paul made $20 million or $18 million, whatever it was, and you got the world heavyweight champ from the UFC, uh, Francis Naganu, who's come out and said, "Man, what are we doing wrong that we're we're fighting and we're brutally putting our bodies on the line in a in a combat sport where we're only getting you know a million dollars, two million, dollars, whatever it is? Not only that, that's a small amount of money, but when you compare well, in it comparison. to where Floyd Mayweather is making a hundred million dollars, obviously he's earned that." by being 50 and oh he's earned that so i get right. it but a guy that's making 18 million for one fight just to get beat by floyd mayweather you know and they talk about um i believe it's the other paul jake that's jake, gonna yeah. fight tyrone woodley yes it tyrone is woodley is a former ufc champ it's gonna be the biggest payday of his career is the fight that he takes a boxing exhibition against jake paul 
when guys have yeah. to go do these boxing exhibitions just to make more money than they have in anything else, that's the problem. Yeah. I'd rather see Naganu in the octagon. I'd rather see Tyrone Woodley in the octagon. I'd rather see these guys in the octagon, Conor McGregor in the octagon, than see them in these boxing exhibitions where, but they're taking them because they make so much fucking money. Like why? Right. And I get it that people are paying to see it. So that's where the money is generated from. I get all that. But at this point, a hundred million dollars for a, you know, a way over the hill Floyd Mayweather. Like why? What, what, what is, especially in an exhibition that, you know, I, again, I understand everybody's paying for it. So that's where the money is generated from, but it's just like, at some point enough is enough. You know, these exhibitions, they're not fun to watch. They're not cool. Everybody watches it just to see somebody because they think somebody might get knocked out brutally. That's the only reason right. everybody watches it because they thought Mayweather might knock this dude out. You know, And that didn't and, even happen. No. I mean, the only one that got knocked out was Ocho Cinco. Right. And nobody was tuning in to see Ocho Cinco fight. No. I wasn't. So, you know, all I didn't that, turn it on until the, until the Paul Mayweather fight. Right. So all that stuff, you know. I think it really exposes more the fact that the UFC, these guys are completely underpaid, underpaid and for what they go through. And underappreciated, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I, just, I just think that we really need to adjust that because these guys, we don't want to, especially in their prime, like Terrell Woodley, okay, he's towards the end of his career. But you don't want to see a, a Francis Nagranu and these guys that are in their prime leave to go do something else just for more money. Right. You know, that's especially it's not like there's a shortage sure. of money in the UFC. No, hell no. I you mean, know, like look at what Dana White just made for, for pay-per-view boxing for these exhibitions. There's just as many for the UFC. I mean, they had their first the first pay-per-view back after a pandemic. It sold out in record time. Like there's no no lack of interest. So, I think right. that's more of a problem with it, but to your point, these these ex these exhibitions, I'm over them. I could care less about Logan Paul, Jake Paul. If Logan Paul wants to become a professional boxer, become a professional boxer, box other boxers, you know, not these exhibitions against guys that are just in it for the money and shit like that. Like, I'm over it. I have no interest in it at all. Right. The the numbers that they showed after the fight were just stupid. Yeah, I think he completed or connected on, like, the most 12% was on any one of his punches was 12% connection by Logan yeah. Paul. Like, it's just, I'm over Horrible. it. A waste of everybody's oh, time. And I, one thing to wrap that up, kind of just to compliment your point there, Vince, is you look at a guy in the UFC, one of my all time favorite fighters in the UFC, and he wasn't, he never won a title or anything, but I loved him because of his attitude and the way he went out swinging was Roy Big Country Nelson. Yeah. Uh, you remember him? Yeah. So, absolutely. So Roy Nelson was at one time the seventh or sixth or seventh highest ranked fighter in all of the UFC. Mm -hmm. I think that was as high as he climbed. Yeah. He he was making less than $240,000 a fight in the UFC on pay-per-view. He's right. gone on record saying that. Yeah. That's absolutely crazy. And he was their biggest draw on Twitter. Right. He had the most Twitter followers right. out of any UFC fighter. That's more followers than John Bones Jones, yeah. more followers than, you know, DC at the time when he was still doing his thing. Bones That's, Jones, man, he's my favorite. I I love John Bones Jones. Hopefully, hopefully he puts his mind to it and does what he needs to do, stays on the right track. Yeah, you so know, he, it sounds like he's going to be – it sounds like they're talking about him, his next fight being in the heavyweight division at uh, 
you know, the, the big thing for him is, you know, a lot of these guys, they, when they move up in weight, they don't have the, you know, their smaller bodies and then they put on the weight and it kind of slows him down. And he's got, he's, he's long, you know, he's, he's got the longest reach in the history of the UFC. You right. Know, I, think, I think he's really a guy that could do a lot of damage at the heavyweight division. And obviously we're, you know, for uh, the whole 1252 brand, we're all rooting for Lorenzo, Hood, he got his debut, UFC debut in the heavyweight division coming in August. Um, you know, hopefully more to yeah. come on that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, but a lot of exciting stuff coming up the UFC. I'd much rather see that attention and not only the the pay per views, the money, the buyouts, the buy ins, all that stuff, but the uh, the mainstream media as well. The focus on the UFC than these stupid boxing exhibitions. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah, one quick thing on Lorenzo Hood. As you said, he's going to have his first UFC fight here coming up in August. Man, we got to talk to the guys, see if we can do a live watch or something of the fight. That if would we be could pull cool. that off, that would be awesome. So that would more be to come really on cool. that, guys, but be rooting for Lorenzo Hood. That's a name you're going to definitely know here in the next year for sure. As, as he gets his first, second, third fight and moves up in the ranks, I'm excited to see what that guy does. If you haven't seen him fight, look him up on YouTube. He's an incredible fighter. Yeah, no With doubt. That, he's he's got a watch party tomorrow at uh, the No A Training in Joliet. So anybody who wants to go watch some UFC, go over there, check it out. It's gonna be a good time. Um, man, Andrew, what a great show! What a great show to come. Absolutely. Back to. I'm I'm glad you were back this week, bro. Yeah, it's, me it's too. It's been fun. We got to talk about a lot of things that I was kind of holding back on because I wanted to discuss with you. So, you know, And I appreciate that. I really do. And a big shout-out to our boy Angelo Ace Camacho for coming out last week and filling filling that spot for me. Oh, absolutely. You know, I appreciate it. You know, Angelo is great uh, every time we bring him on. So, Yeah, you know, hopefully I'm here next Friday, man. You know, this uh, – We'll see what happens. We you could be having a baby here any day, so you know we just we're just kind of playing them by ear as as yeah. things go along. We'll we'll be here. I'll be here as often as I can until the baby's here. But uh, absolutely, man, we had a great show. We talked about the Bears and Fields and football in general. Love talking football. We got some NBA playoff chat in, which was cool. Um, you know, we got to a little update with Philadelphia kicking the crap out of Atlanta. Um, Denver plays tonight. That'll be interesting to see if they can hold off the the that three zero deficit. You don't want to fall in that three zero. We got to talk right. Got to talk Cubs and Sox and some baseball. We got to talk everything opening up. Illinois opening up today. Happy Happy Phase Five. Illinois. We opening back up today. And uh, our guy is saying, do the show I'm live down. from the delivery room. You know what? Book it. Book it. <laughs> Tell Melissa that shit's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're gonna be smacked after this show. I'm just yeah, probably, probably, but it's okay. It'll uh, be worth it. It's all worth it for our fans and viewers. So no, yeah, definitely, definitely glad to have you back, Vince. Hopefully, you're here next Friday. We'll see what happens with the baby. Uh, if not, we'll figure it out. But yeah, no, thank sure. you, thank you to our sponsors, Nick and Ivy Brewing, out in beautiful downtown Lockport. Always repping that gear. Uh, the Jonathan Darren team with the Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group, the White Oak Farm Venue, and Mark Berardi Associates. None of this is possible without you guys, so we definitely appreciate you and what you do for the 1252 brand. Uh, appreciate you viewers for watching, and those of you that are on Spotify, we appreciate the listen. And check uh, out our boy Rico Santana for that, that great uh, intro music, that intro song we got. Check him out on Spotify and 
uh, iTunes, everywhere you can buy music. Make sure you go and check them out. Definitely, definitely. You heard him there in the intro. Great guy. Uh, that being said, guys, we appreciate your we appreciate your time tonight. Uh, it's been a good show. It's been fun. Uh, starting starting the week Sunday night, we've got the Grobstein and Schuster Express here on twelve fifty two. Monday nights we have Fred Hubner's Hubes Views and Brews. Talks a lot of different sports as well as a lot of different beer, and I'm a huge beer fan. So that's yeah, yeah, sports and beer. Listen. What a better, what kind of better combination you got to that? Uh, of course, we've got uh, Salim and the Bulls Gold podcast now coming out on Tuesdays. Uh, Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show as always on Wednesdays, and don't miss out on the Fat Mike Chicago beer coming from Nick and Ivy. Oh yeah, that's I believe that's next week. Next week, the week after, something like that. We'll we'll have more info as it gets released, but that shit is going to be off the hook. Oh, for sure, I'm going to be there pouring drafts. Come on, you got we got to be there on a Wednesday. You got to drink drink Fat Mike while watching the Fat Mike show. Uh <laughs> I I know they're going to do some sort of release, but we'll have more details on that to come, yeah, guys. Yeah. Anyways, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you guys for joining us. You've been great. Have a great night. We'll see you next week. Thank you.